Association for Positive Behavior Support, APBS podcast. Hi, this is Tanya Mizgin. I'm the host and co-producer of the APBS podcast, and we are both joining you today from the University of Minnesota at the Masonic Institute for the Developing Brain within ICI. The APBS podcast is part of the Public Awareness and Dissemination Committee PAD made up of various APBS leaders, such as board members, website consultants, family members, and much more. The PAD committee is part of the driving force beyond keeping track of historic performance, key measures of success for the APBS strategic goals, and much more. Hello and welcome to episode eight with our special guest host, Dr. Glenn Dunlap. I am personally looking forward to chatting and interviewing Dr. Glenn Dunlap. Dr. Dunlap has been involved with individuals with disabilities for more than 45 years and has served as a teacher, administrator, researcher, and a university faculty member. He has directed numerous research and training projects and has been awarded dozens of federal and state grants to pursue this important work. He has authored more than 250 articles and book chapters, co-edited numerous books, and served on 15 editorial boards. He was one of the founders of the Association for Positive Behavior Support, as well as the founding editor of the Journal of Positive behavior intervention, and served for 10 years as the editor of the Topics in Early Childhood Special Education. We are honored to have Dr. Glenn Dunlap here today with us and look forward to his um, discussion and anything he would like to share with our audience. As promised, today we have our special guest host, Dr. Dunlap, and I'm here with my co-host, Tanya. Welcome, both of you, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Just happy to be here and listen to what Mr. Dunlap has to say. Absolutely. Likewise. We really appreciate you being here with us and taking the time to share your background and your work with our listeners. We would love to hear more about your background as a student to start the conversation and learn more about what education was like for you as a student and how that motivated you to seek this path as a profession. Sure. Well, first of all, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was in the early 1970s and I was an undergraduate student at the University of California. And I had been floating around in literature and economics and uh, various other fields, but then ended up in psychology and had the opportunity to participate with a, a very unique and groundbreaking uh, research program involving 
teaching children with autism in schools. Mm -hmm. And this was before the public law required that children with autism and other disabilities. So this was very early. It was in the early 1970s. The program was led by Dr. Bob Cagle. Um, so at, at UC Santa Barbara. And I had the opportunity to work very, very closely with a number of children with very significant, severely affected autism. And I, I fell head over heels in, in love with that opportunity to connect with these children and do the best that I could to help them. Um, and in those days, it didn't take much to be an expert in autism. Let me put it this way. I had been uh, involved with children with autism as an undergraduate student um, for less than a year. And I was then hired to direct a place called the Princeton Child Development Institute in Princeton, New Jersey, because by then I was an expert, you see, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a bachelor's degree. I see. And so I worked with uh, this nonprofit a private school program in Princeton, New Jersey for a couple of years and decided then to move on and get my PhD. And I went to the University of Kansas, where I had the wonderful opportunity to get to know Montrose Wolf and Todd Risley and Don Bayer and many others. And that was really how my education got launched. Eventually, I ended up completing my PhD at the University of California, Santa Barbara and San Francisco. Uh, in a field called speech and hearing sciences. And that's what my doctorate is in. But my focus was on psychology and education. And in that time, it was particularly in autism. Um, and we were behavior analysts. That is, we used applied behavior analysis. And subsequently, I, I began working very closely with Rob Horner um, and Ted Carr and others. And that's when we got funded to conduct the research, the National Research and Training Center on Positive Behavior Support. And that started in 1987. Uh, I was on the faculty at Marshall University and then I moved to the University of South Florida. But it was a wonderful collaboration with Rob Horner at the University of Oregon uh, Ted Carr at the State University of Stony Brook, and many other people, including Anne and Red Turnbull and Wayne Saylor and, and Bob Cagle and, and a lot of other people. Initially, that research and training center had the title of Community Referenced Behavior Management. See, we didn't even have the term positive behavior support back in 1987. But quickly, we came to change the name to positive behavior support. And that really occurred in an article that was published in 1990 with a bunch of authors led by Rob Horner. And uh, that was in the JASH Journal which is now research and training and severe disabilities. But at that time, it was the journal for the Association of Persons with Severe Handicaps or JASH. Anyway, so I was influenced by a lot of people as a student. My last year as an undergraduate by Bob Cagle and then a bunch of people at the University of Kansas um, who were tremendously influential 
and useful to me um, and many other people because I've always worked collaboratively very very much as a, as a team um, nothing I've ever done was done strictly by me it was always a community effort and that is I think an important characteristic of, of our field of what we do because nothing that we do is done in a silo nothing is insular and we have to learn from one another um, participate with one another um, and if what we have to contribute is going to be generalized then it has to involve people who are unlike one another um, different cultures different languages um, different countries and people with different ideologies um, and finding you know everybody has something to contribute yes and 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 it's so important for us to appreciate that very deeply and to do the best that we can to understand it and to incorporate it when it has value thank you thank you i i completely agree with you and that is one of the main reasons i um, I'm honored to be part of APBS and to work with diverse multidisciplinary scholars and experts um, nationally and internationally. So it's been a wonderful collaboration and interconnectedness um, in, in research and, and supporting families. And I'm happy that you're talking about your work with Rob Harner because he'll be one of the individuals that we interview next. I am very happy to hear that and look forward to um, sharing some of this with him as well. It's a good thing that you're doing that because Rob is a, is a wonderful person and a great leader and he along with Ted Carr and a couple of others have been the most instrumental people in establishing not yes, just, and if you want to highlight a little bit about the articles that we will list for our listeners, some of our listeners might be new to APBS or positive behavior support in general, um, or might be early career researchers, um, professionals. So we will have three articles available to them. Um, the 2006 Applied Behavior Analytic Heritage of Positive Behavior Support, 2002 Ted Carr, and 2000 with George Sugai and Hardner. Those are the three articles we will list for our listeners who wish to learn more about positive behavior support. Good. Well, first of all, the 2002 article that was published in JPBI and has Ted Carr as the lead author. There are something like 12 or 13 authors on that, but Ted was the lead author. That was after positive behavior support had gotten rolling a little bit. We had a journal. We were just about to uh, get an organization, but we didn't have one yet. Um, and Ted took the lead in helping us articulate where positive behavior support was at that time. 
This was nearly 20 years ago, you see. So, um, and it defined the main characteristics, where positive behavior support had come from, and to some extent, where we hope to go in the future with it. Uh, this is a very important definitional article, and it has been made available for free download on the APBS website for many, many, many years, I believe. So that's the one. The article by George Sugai also has about 12 or 13 or 15 authors, <laughs> and it is the first major article that articulated the position of what we refer to as PBIS, that is school-wide um, positive behavior support, looking at whole classrooms and in fact, whole school environments. And George teamed with Rob and a bunch of us to really articulate what this new direction or expansion of positive behavior support really meant. So that's a very, very key article. The other article that you mentioned, and I guess we'll be making available, yes. was from 2006. And that's one, that's an essay that um, I wrote some time ago. And I wrote it um, on the occasion of a celebratory conference honoring the contributions of Todd Risley and Montrose Wolf. You see, those two individuals were very largely responsible for starting the field of applied behavior analysis, you know, long ago. But they also provided the model for positive behavior support. And in the essay, I attempted to articulate uh, exactly what that meant, that it was a practical approach for problem solving, for helping resolve serious challenges um, involving human behavior. And my opinion and I, is that Todd Risley and Mont Wolf really set the template. They explained how to use science in, the, in this way. And I think it was really a wonderful template and a template that set the stage for positive behavior support. So that's what that brief article is about. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, I think these three um, article, two articles and the essay will be extremely helpful in having new audience or community um, advocates learn more about the work that we do. And, um, and often we hear people who are learning about positive behavior support for the very first time, whether they're professionals or caregivers, um, asking questions about the similarity or interconnectedness between PBS and ABA. Is there any message you would like to share with, with individuals who are learning? PBS, positive behavior support, came out of applied behavior analysis. Um, the, the clear majority of individuals who got together and sort of created positive behavior support had been and continued to be behavior analysts. My training was in applied behavior analysis. Rob Horner's was, Ted Carr's was, Wayne Saylor's was. Yeah, they, it really was the root. And it continued to be the foundation 
that is the methodology, the procedures, um, uh, a lot of the research designs and, and so on and so forth, they all came from positive behavior support. However, uh, when we established positive behavior support, we recognized that we needed to move. We needed a new generation. We needed to bring in other perspectives um, and, and so on and so forth. And, and that's where it was. And I think that those articles, in particular, the article by Ted Carr and colleagues, and then the essay that I wrote, I think they, they attempt to explain how that happened. And so if your listeners are interested in more information, that's probably a good idea to just take a it peek. It is, absolutely. I take agree. a peek at those articles. Yeah. I agree. And as I was mentioning earlier, before we started the recording, um, the episode we had right before meeting with you was with a mother and a, and a child. They provided insight and um, shared their experiences with us utilizing positive behavior support tools at home, in the community, at school. And into that reference, I would like to share with our listeners your, um, your work and how this work has really been uh, extremely helpful for educators and researchers and, and children, especially, especially young children with, with challenging behaviors, this tool being uh, what really made a huge difference, both for educators and children. The Prevent, Teach, Reinforce for Young Children model. Uh, would you be able to highlight that work for us? Uh, yeah, certainly I'd be happy to. Um, prevent, Teach, Reinforce is dualized model of positive behavior support. There's nothing special about it. And this is the reason that we, we designed this model. For some time, we had research in our own personal experiences that convinced us that these strategies using functional assessment and identifying the conditions under which challenging behavior and desirable behavior occurred, and then how to use procedures to promote positive behaviors. Um, we knew that, that these things could work, that they, they were effective, that we could use them in schools and so on and so forth. However, they have to be used with some integrity, with fidelity. They have to be used. And that, that's easier said than done. You can't just give somebody a, a research article and give it to a teacher or a principal and say, here, do this, you know, no problem. Bye. See ya. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you give a, a highfalutin, you know, positive behavior support plan to somebody and walk away. Now, that doesn't work. You know, so, right. so we, we try to develop a, a, a model in which fidelity would be enhanced. That is where things were laid out very simply point by point. We even attempted to draw scripts so that, you know, although all positive behavior support plans are individualized, there's certain steps that you follow in order to create the effective and efficient individualization. And that's what Prevent, Teach, Reinforce is all about. That's why we did that. Um, and we have seen that it works pretty well. It's not perfect, um, 
you know, it doesn't mean that anybody, you know, can pick it up and do it and, and get desirable results. It means that, but if somebody has a basic background, if somebody can get the idea of function <laughs> and that, that challenging behavior is communicative, and if, if you've got those basics and you have the commitment, yes, and you have the commitment, then you can get very good results. And we think that the prevent, teach, reinforce model will do that. And so we started off with a model that is applicable in schools, primarily kindergarten through middle school. Um, some modifications are necessary in high school and so on. And then we developed a model for young children, that is for preschool programs, for Head Start, and as you're talking about the model, care. I'm sorry to cut you off, uh, just so I can give the listeners an idea. Yeah. Um, when they're looking at the um, pyramid model, the, yeah. the universal stage being in the bottom, secondary stage in the middle for some people, and yes. then the top we have the, the tertiary stage, and that's it, the model you're referring that's to. That's correct. Yeah, Thank it's, you. Continue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really at the tertiary. In fact, the prevent, teach, reinforce model is really intended for the kinds of behaviors that are most troublesome for teachers in classrooms and parents yes. um, and community, you know, um, because in order to implement it correctly, you need to roll up your sleeves and really be committed to, to doing this. It, it takes a little bit of time and, and, and diligence. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, that's what it's all about. We also incorporate procedures that will help uh, reduce the, the frequency of those cases. Absolutely. That is, by using universal strategies in, in the classroom and things. And, and these are extraordinarily important. And it's really the rationale behind school-wide and classroom-wide positive behavior support is that if you have these good procedures in place, then the tertiary behaviors are reduced considerably. And even if they're still there, they're much easier to address. That is, the procedures are apt to be much more effective if you have good strategies and procedures in place at the universal and secondary level. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. And we will provide links to that for our listeners. So they have a brief infographic example about the, the pyramid and they can see the what's available at the universal stage, the secondary stage, and then the tertiary stage where Dr. Dunlop is talking about. And everything that's mentioned in the universal as well as the secondary is also available at that top tier, along with the more individualized database decision-making in the model you're referring to. So it's team-driven decision-making, manualized with details, steps for designing and implementing intervention plans. And, and that's what I really wanted to um, make sure I include for our listeners, especially families who are um, just finishing listening to the last episode and then hearing from you and your work. I think it will be a very good overview for them. Wonderful. Thank you. 
just any last word you would like to share with our listeners in general? Well, um, just that I think that uh, APBS is a very, very important organization. I commend you for joining and contributing to the organization. Um, it's really important. And it's important in the sense that being a part of a community is, is important. Um, we never could have made the progress that we have seen to date without, um, without a community, without working together um, in a truly collaborative and respectful uh, way. And that's what makes our work great and, and which gives me a great deal of pleasure and satisfaction. We are thrilled and grateful to have had this opportunity to sit down with you, Dr. Dunlab, listening to you discuss laying the foundation for intentional, respectful collaboration aligns with, in my opinion, how we are today, how leaders within APBS today are leveraging positive behavior support as a liberatory tool centering equity, inclusion, and belonging in the field. So thank you. Tanya, would you like to say anything? Just thank you so much for your information you shared today, Dr. Dunlap. Um, it was really interesting to hear about the journey you took to get to um, where you are and how you've influenced this field that is so widely used now and implemented all over uh, the world, really. So thank you for everything. And we are doing our best to continue that work and move it forward still. Well, thank you, you're very kind. And I appreciate the opportunity. This brings us to the end of our episode. We appreciate you taking the time to learn more about the Association for Positive Behavior Support. Upcoming podcasts will feature diverse professionals families, community members, continuing to discuss topics focused on enhancing the quality of life of people across the lifespan by promoting evidence-based positive behavior support. You can find details for upcoming podcasts, conferences, webinars, and much more at our website, apbs.org. You can also follow and contact us on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We encourage everyone listening to visit apbs.org to learn more about membership opportunities and to be notified of upcoming episodes. Thank you. Mm -hmm.